0: everybody to another edition of The Narrative Game with uh, my dear friend, Dr. Ben Hunt. <laughs> ben, how are you? I'm doing great. Hey, great, Grant. It's uh, good to be back. Good to be back with you. Yes, it's it's been a while. There's just so, so much to talk about. But first, I have to check in on the farm. How, how's life up there?
1: Well, we're covered in snow. It's um, yeah. It's been such a snowy winter, at least a snowy February for sure. So... I can't remember a year where we've had so many, you know, days where the weather forecast was, ah, oh, there might be some precipitation, and then you've got four or five inches uh, yeah. sitting out there.
0: Yeah, it's, it's been a bit like that. It's been a bit like that. Well, I mean, th- talk about snowfalling. um, We've seen a lot of that in markets in recent weeks. And um, the thing that really, after many aborted attempts to, to get the two of us to go and chat, was your, your Hunger Games piece, which, which I thought was... Um, was one of the best things you've ever written. Oh, thank you, Grant. A, well, that is a high bar to clear. Oh. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, that now for those people that, that haven't read it, and absolutely everybody should, you'll find it on EpsilonTheory.com. The Hunger Games was really your take on the the Wall Street bets, the Reddit, the Citadels, the Robin Hood. And so I, I thought this week we could perhaps unpack that because I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, and, and I think uh, the main thrust of your piece was exactly what I thought as I was watching it, that the the narrative around this whole story is nowhere close to what it is being purported to be. Right, um, right. And so so what I'd love to do is is to get you to kind of run through your Hunger Games thesis for people um, and then we'll kind of pick it apart because I, it, it it sent my brain in so many different directions um, and so I'd love to kind of get sure. the chance for you and I to do that live for people. Sure,
1: well, I think the main takeaway for me... From all of this, right—that that you're describing, both the events uh, leading up to the surge in GameStop and in other similarly situated companies, let's say uh, the, the the run-up, the changing of the rules overnight, <laughs> as as far as what stocks you were allowed to buy, uh, and then the, the the collapse in prices subsequently, the the, the hearings we saw in, in in Congress the other week all of that. My, my take is this. My take is that in one very specific, let's call it the local way, the, the, what, what happened, what actually happened on the ground and in markets, nothing changed. This is yeah. Wall Street, right? This is what Wall Street has always been. In my view is what it'll always be. In another sense, though, Grant, I think a lot changed, maybe not in the way people think this whole notion of oh this is democratizing wall street
0: yeah
1: pure hokum right it's it's just another story <laughs> to to you know mobilize the marks right but in another sense what we all saw taking you know taking place in public was the fact that the rules change in the middle of the game what we mm-hmm. all saw in public was a Stock prices don't go up or down depending on what the company does. You know, we're not making bets on a company. We're just making bets. Yeah. And, and the bets themselves are what Wall Street is. And I, I really think, I, I hope, frankly, that those two very public observations, as I, as I like to say, you know, in terms of common knowledge, what we all saw that we all saw right it wasn't it wasn't just that oh yeah we observe something it's the very public nature of this where it's all out in the open the changing of the rules the fact that stock prices don't depend on any sort of fundamentals i think that has the potential at least for changing a lot about how we the people think about wall street and how we interact with wall street that's my hope anyway
0: well well let's let's pick that apart because um i I think that the first part is this idea of it being a casino rather than a stock exchange because mm-hmm. I think that's that's really important and I think anyone that really has been inside financial markets for the last 20 years has seen that mentality take a stronger and stronger grip exactly right I mean, it did used to be about fundamentals it did used to be about owning a share in future cash flows and yep. owning a stake in a company um but then we got we got onto this, you know, beat the number business. The, the one penny beats every quarter. And, you know, you, you, you're you gambling. Are they going to beat by a penny? Are they going to miss by a penny? And, of course, in the long term, does it really matter? Of course it doesn't. But the stock prices gyrate on the back of that, and that's where the money is made. And I think central to your Hunger Games piece was the piece in the middle that you didn't mention there, which was who makes the money and how mm-hmm. they make the money. because mm-hmm. Because I, I think that, Again, to, to, to anyone that's, that's been inside the belly of the beast, I think we all know this, and many of us have been shouting about this for a long, long time. But I think you're right. I think it became very obvious to people who were paying attention and who are prepared to think about what they saw. And this is the bit I want to talk about, because I think this is the important part. Okay, It's, it's not necessarily that obvious simply because the narrative around it continues to be perpetuated. You know, i i i I'm still reading articles about how main street stuck it to wall. Street, oh yeah. Right? I'm still, yeah. I'm still reading them. Um, and that is absolutely not what happened. So, so let, let's break down the players. Let's talk about the Melvin capitals. Let's, 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 sure let's, let's use them as, as a, as a, a bucket for short sellers, not the, 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 the short sellers per se, but the people who were short the stock. Let's talk about the market makers, and let's talk about the retail crowd. Now, what? How would you describe the narrative that those three people, uh, under which those three groups operate? So,
1: I'm gonna I'm going to use a I'll call it kind of gambling analogies throughout this, Grant, and and I think it'll be particularly familiar. It seems apropos. Apropos. It, it does it yeah. does, and and actually, let me just talk about that whole casino aspect of markets first, because I I think that is the big issue that we're all wrestling with here. So as you say, you know, why do we have public stock markets in the first place? Why do we have public companies? They exist for two reasons and two reasons only. Their primary reason is as a transmission belt, as a way of getting private capital, your money, my money, into the hands of management teams that can use that capital for more productive efforts than, than you or I can. And, and then we will share in their productive investment of this capital through our fractional ownership share of their cash flows and of the of, of the company they have, right? So that's why we have stock markets. That's right. That's why we issue stock, right? That's what it's for. It is that transmission belt from private capital to the, the hands of these managers of companies. That's reason number one. Reason number two is, you know, what we call price discovery, right? So that there is a market, there is liquidity for buying and selling those uh, fractional ownership shares in those companies that have taken private capital to to put to more productive ends. Some degree of casino-ness is necessary once you establish a market like that. I'm not saying at all, no one is saying that we should have no speculation or trading or casino aspects of markets. What we are saying, what I'm saying, certainly, is that can't be all it is, (laughs) right? Right? But that's where we are today, where the casino aspects of this, that's all there is, man. That's all there is. And, And I'm going to bring that back to the I'll call it the players sitting around this poker table that you're describing, and let's start with I'll call it the the hedge funds, the Melvin Capital. I should say we'll use them as kind of the representative of this class yeah. action suit that we're describing here, right? And <laughs> right. the way that the game is now played with short selling, and this is very different from the way the game has been played in the past, even as you know, so sort of, you know, ten years ago. 15 years ago. I mean, I used to run a decent sized short book, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars where we would be short different things in the market. And I've been short GameStop in the past. GameStop was a wonderful short for me. But the way that you would short GameStop was all right, stock's trading at what, $55, something like that. I know what the catalysts are. I know how to think about it. They have a bad earnings report. Stock goes down 10%. Great. I got paid. I'm out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. I'm out. Because that's how shorts work. They work in this punctuated fashion when something goes wrong and your negative view on the company is revealed to the world. That's how it works. Uh, That's how your bets pay off on the short side. And, you know, typically a short position, you know, it would never be very big. It would never be as big as your your long positions because, as we know, shorts can go against you, right? And your losses are unlimited Right, I, I mean, imagine shorting Amazon at the start, and where Amazon is now, you've yeah. you've lost essentially an infinite amount of money, <laughs> right? right? Right, and you know, with a long position, all you can lose is the money you invest. With a short position, your obligations keep going up and up and up. So short positions are always smaller. You're much more nimble with them,
0: uh, and your are well, and, p- and of course, markets go up over time. That's just the yes. nature of. Yes. Or whether it's just inflation. That,
1: right? That, 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 that's right. You're fi- you're constantly fighting against that. So you're not there for the long haul. You're really not. You're there for that short, yeah. punctuated drop. Great, I got paid, I'm out. Maybe I'll set up for the next drop. Right? What's really interesting to me though is how Melvin Capital, they shorted GameStop a couple of years back. And I think they started shorting at like forty something dollars a share. And it went down to like three. I mean, you've won. (laughs) Congrats. You're done. Exit position. Take your money. All right, go on to the next thing. But they didn't. They kept an enormous position, enormous short position, still on GameStop, trying to eke that last... Little yep. bit out, right? You never short a company down to BK. You never short it down to zero. Certainly yep. not an operating company, a company with, you know, revolvers and lines of credit and assets and the like. Maybe you can get away with shorting a financial company down to zero, because you know, forget solvency. If they become illiquid, yep. then the regulators shut them down. That is a zero. <laughs> right? So, a, a real world company, like say, with stores and revolvers, lines of credit and stuff. What is Melvin doing? Why are they shorting it down to zero? How risky is that? Yeah.
0: Right. But those last $3 can take years to evaporate, right?
1: Years to evaporate, and your risk is is really significant, right? Yeah. But then I figured it out, right? And here's where I'll use the poker analogy. Because of the enormous amounts of, again, I'll use this word, liquidity, which just means money, and in particular, leverage, borrowed money, that's available to firms like Melvin Capital... They can sit down at the GameStop poker table, and they have got an enormous stack in front of them. So if you're looking at that and you say, holy crap, I'm going to go play poker against these guys on this GameStop? No way. We we all know the notion of, of the bully at the table, the poker yep. table, right? Because they've got the enormous stack, and you've got a good hand, so you make a bet. And they just say, screw that. And they just you know push in three times your, your total chips. And you just think, well... Gosh, am I going to wager everything I own Uh on GameStop? The answer, of course, is is no. Of course you're not, right? You'll go play something else or, you know, some table where there's not that bully at the table, you know, with that enormous stack of chips. That is what is happening, not just with GameStop, but but all over the markets. And not just on the short side, but also on the long side. Mm -hmm. You as an investor, you're sitting down with people with massive stacks of chips, and they are the bully at the table. So, what happens with GameStop? Who are the other players? Well, you've got the—I'll call it the people on the other side, right? You—you you had a couple of uh, private equity guys, a couple of guys that say, you know, all is not lost with GameStop. At the very least, I bet we can make a great story out of mm-hmm. GameStop. And—and and what we all learned, you know, over the last ten years. The secret to running a successful company, meaning your stock price goes up, is not whether you're rigging out operational efficiencies in this division or that division, right? It's not a Jack Welch style of, of, you know, management. No, no, no. It's the Elon Musk style. It's the Mark Benioff style, where success comes from telling a story about the future of your company, not its present, but its future, right? And so I can come up with some good stories about the future of GameStop, They're ridiculous, I think. They're about the same as the future stories I told once upon a time about Blockbuster. I actually owned Blockbuster debt. It was my worst investment in my career, right? Junior subordinated debt of Blockbuster, right? Anyway, I got stories. (laughs) I got stories. Even there, I was taken to the cleaners by Carl Icahn, right, who had the enormous stack of chips and just said, nope, I'm controlling the bankruptcy proceedings. Bye-bye, little boy. See you later. And that was it for me. <laughs> that was it
0: Hawaii for me. You went, yeah. yeah,
1: away I went. So you've got a number of, of, of people on the other side of the GameStop story, and they're looking at Melvin, and I say, yeah, that's a big stack of chips. But gosh, from a narrative perspective, they're in a pretty weak position, meaning that you've got this short on this $3 stock, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How hard is it to get a $3 stock to move in this day and age? when we can mobilize our own stacks of capital and start moving money on the, on the other way and start making bets. And so that's what happens, man. We actually looked at the linguistics of places like Wall Street Bets, and mm-hmm. what you saw a couple of months ago was the, the nature of the language really changed. It became much more of, you know, well, here's a story about, you know, our due diligence about GameStop. And it would, the word choice, the language that was being used there's a real shift there, a really noticeable yeah. shift. And I call it a snowball theory of markets, right? It's not just markets, it's politics, it's things like everything we do these days. The way to, to achieve success is to try to start snowballs rolling down the hill. Right? It's very cheap and easy to do. You're just starting a story. You're getting in front of a camera. You're, you know, yeah. appearing on a segment on CNBC, and I'm going to tell you a story. And this story is going to be about GameStop, And, you know, most of the stories won't click, but occasionally one will, one will click, one will connect, one will go viral, whatever you want to call it. And that snowball starts to roll down the hill. And there are enough other, call them hedge funds, call them professional, whatever you want to call it. People like me say, the way you make money today is by following the story, by following the Mm -hmm. snowballs. And they say, huh, there's an interesting little snowball rolling down here on GameStop. I think maybe I'll add a little snow mass to that. I'll add a little uh, uh, money to that bet. And before long, basically, you've got this crowdsourced snowball rolling down a hill where everybody knows the story. It's bullshit, right? But but it, it is where I shouldn't say that. It's a story. Yeah. It's a yeah. story. But hey, it's a story that's working. And so, yeah, let me put a little bit more money on that. And pretty soon, your stack is bigger than Melvin Capital's. And Melvin Capital says, oh, I'm in a difficult situation here because all of a sudden I'm looking around at this table and I'm not the dominant bully at the table anymore. Oh, man, I got some issues here.
0: Well, and and my chips are already in the table. I can't take them off the table now because the game's in process.
1: That's right. that's, That's right. And I can't put more chips in. I can't short it more because... You know there are issues about finding the borrow, right? There are issues about, hey, this is a really risky position, and you've been a bully here for a long time. Are you really going to double down on this? You know really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, and so that brings in, I'll call it the third players that we're talking about the players that are the real masters of the game, right? The players who are there who really don't care who wins and loses at each individual table like gamestop, but What they care a lot about is we got to keep the game going. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Let's keep the trading going because I'm going to get my rake of everything that gets done here. And foremost among those in that sphere, let's talk about Robinhood and we'll talk about Citadel Securities. Yeah. Citadel Securities, it's the market making arm of Ken Griffin World, right? You know, which had started with the hedge fund Citadel, which was a bailout investor in Melvin Capital, right? It's all interlinked, right? But the big moneymaker for Ken Griffin these days is Citadel Securities. So last year, $6.9 billion in very high margin uh, revenues. Uh, And and very low risk revenue. Exactly. Exactly. High margin, low risk. Why is that? It's because what a market maker does is that they say, Mr. Uh, I'll call it retail broker, Robinhood, you've got some people who want to buy GameStop. You got some people maybe want to sell GameStop. You're just the broker for this. You're the middleman. By law, you know, you you hand it off to one of the exchanges on which this trades. And there's a bid and there's an ask. And, you know, they'll, that'll get, you know, a buyer finds a seller. That's what That's what exchanges do. Well, we're a market maker. We've got the best technology in the world. So it's no accident that it is the giant technologically advanced hedge funds that have gotten into this business of market-making. So it is um, Citadel Securities, it's uh, Virtu, it's uh, Two Sigma, you know, Two Sigma, like Citadel, a hedge fund, yep. but kind of going into this market-making business because they say, you know what, I bet if you just give us your flow, we'll match for you, all the buyers and sellers. We'll do it before it gets to the exchange, and we will give the, the, your, your customers a better price than they would get on the exchange, right? Because without a lot of order flow, the bid-ask spreads can be pretty wide. They say, mm-hmm. we're going to give you better price execution. So it's going to be better for your end consumer. And so Robin Hood says, oh, well, that sounds pretty interesting, but... You know, why should we give it to you, Citadel Securities? Why shouldn't we give it to Virtu? Why shouldn't we give it to Two Sigma? Why shouldn't we just send it on to the exchange like, you know, you would you would do otherwise? And Citadel, of course, says, well, because we'll pay you a for, for it, of course, dummy. <laughs> we'll pay you for it. You know, why is Citadel, why does Citadel Securities want to be the bookie, right? Why do they want to match the buyers and the sellers on GameStop and all these retail stocks so much? It's because retail investors aren't very good. <laughs> That's it. Right. They, right. They, they have no secret information. They don't have a big stack. They don't have, you know, they're not sitting at the dealer button. Right. You know, they're they're not in the game. They're reacting to people telling
0: them their due diligence on freaking Wall Street bets. Yeah, you know, for, for the most part, I liken them to the, the, the people at the track who, instead of studying the form, bet on the horse with the name that sounds like their mother, right? Or the jockey's colors are the same as their lucky color. It's, it's mostly it's those guys, right? They're not doing the work understanding the form. Well, well, that's
1: right. But I think it's even worse than that because they've been brought up in the story. Oh, well, if you just really study the company GameStop really hard, you know, you'll do fine because, you know, it's a fundamental story here at GameStop. You know, it's this story. And that's bullshit, too. right? That's bullshit, too. It's, it's just a made up story to get people to trade. And you can believe it. That's fine. Maybe it'll happen. More power to you. Crazier things have happened. Right. right. But what but, right. But I'm saying to you is is that there's no relationship between the outcome of the race. And whatever it is happens with GameStop, the real-world company.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right?
1: Yeah, you know, to use your example, the track bet is it's, it's like someone going to the dog track or the horse track and not understanding how the system of paramutual betting works. <laughs> right, right? I go to the track, right? There's a, there's a simple rule I follow because I'm not into it, right? I'm not immersed in that world. And that simple rule for me is, okay, middle odds to win. Middle odds right. to win. That's, right. that's the kind of basic rule of thumb. You'll do okay. Middle odds to win. You don't you don't bet on the favorite to you know the favorite. You don't you don't bet on the long shots. Middle odds to win. Forget the place and show and trifectas and quinellas, all that stuff. Middle odds to win. Because that's kind of an encapsulation for a you know a beginner like myself who's not going to get immersed in a track of how do you play the player? What's what's the system here where you've yeah. got a yeah. decent chance of winning? Well, the people who own The dog track or the horse track, the people who own the casino, like Citadel Securities, who are making the market, they want to pay for it because there's so little risk in being on one side or the other of, oh, you've got more buyers than sellers of GameStop? Fine, I don't care. I'll make a market for them. That's not the case with institutional buyers, uh, with, with hedge funds. And it's not the case, here I'll use another gambling example, of, of, of Vegas bookies, right? So we all have this image that uh, a bookie in Vegas, all they're trying to do is to balance the amount of money on both sides of the line, right? So if the Patriots are favored by three and a half points over the Jets, what they want is an equal amount of money at that side. If more money comes in on the Jets, right, that line will shrink, Right. Oh, maybe they will be a two and a half point favorite as more money comes in on the Jets. But you're trying to, to, to balance that out. Well, mm-hmm. that's not exactly right. Right. If you get a relatively small bet in Vegas, let's say, you know, a thousand bucks, but it comes in from somebody who, you know, is mm-hmm. a long term 60 percent winner of their bets, a real pro in making their bets. Yeah. And that thousand dollar bet comes in on one side or the other of the line. That tiny bet, a thousand bucks, that can move the line. Citadel loves the retail flow that comes in from Robinhood because there ain't no order that comes in from Robinhood that's going to move the line, that they've got to worry about as having information. Yeah. So yeah, they pay up for the order flow. And yes, the price that that Robinhood buyer gets would be better than if it went to the exchange. Maybe. Maybe. I'll come back to that, because if all the order yeah, flow yeah. went to yeah. the exchanges, I say, my, if yeah. all the order flow went to the exchanges, that bid-ass spread would narrow, and mm-hmm. honestly, I don't know that Citadel is giving them price improvement. They're giving them price improvement compared against the trickle that actually goes to the exchange, but, you know, that's yeah. the point. Citadel Securities is kind of stopping the flow from getting to the exchange and pointing over the exchange to say, oh, see, so all." You know, big, uh, that bid-ass spread is there. Oh my goodness, you don't want to go there. Let us give you a piece of this here and we'll keep a piece of it for ourselves. But it doesn't end there, right? So not only do they want to encourage the game, right? They love the chips flying around the table on GameStop. This is wonderful. A, not if it comes at the expense of crushing the Melvin Capitals of the world, right? Can't have that. You got to have both, all the players here at the table for this to really work, Mm -hmm. And B, yeah, no, while you're big, why would you just be kind of doing stocks? You know, that's so boring. Why don't create something with a little more juice to it? Why don't we do, oh, I don't know, call options? Even that could get a little boring. How about weekly call options? So this is the other thing that market makers do. It's not just that they want the flow. It's not just that they want you betting chips. It's that they want you playing games like an option game, which is zero sum, right? That they, For every winner, there's a loser. And B, options, particularly short-dated options, are going to be a lot more volatile. Volatility determines price. Volatility determines spread. And that spread is where people like so Dell Securities where they make all their, their billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. So those are the players, right? You've got the Melvin Capitals who've been the bully at the table for so long. You've got other, let's call it, enterprising uh, private investors who say, hmm, I bet we could make a story out of GameStop. I bet we could. And we could stick it to Melvin. And that would be a pretty interesting little uh, little fleecing of our own to do. And then you've got the casino table owners who say, look, guys, all we want is our rake. You bring in more of these retail guys and playing these games where the spread's enormous. <laughs> yeah, bring it. Bring it. And, you know, if we have to take some steps to, you know, make sure the Melvin capitals of the world don't get wiped out, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do that, too.
0: Yeah, yeah, we want to keep them at the table, too. Right,
1: right. And that's what I think happened when, you know, the clearinghouses said, oh, um, Robinhood, you need to post $3 billion now. Yeah, we'll give you 10 minutes. Can, can, have you got $3 billion right now? No? Well, that's a problem. The last people in the world I'm excusing are the Robin Hood guys and Vlad, right? They're proven liars, right? They, 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 yeah. They've already lied about the payment for order flow. Said, oh, no, we don't pay. You to... Yes, and then they admitted it and paid whatever millions they paid to the SEC yep. in a fine, right? Because they know the story doesn't sell. They know that's a bad story. So they're proven liars, A. And B, how undercapitalized are you where, you know, this could happen to you? That really bugs me, right? I mean, this, this would never have happened in the institutional world with a prime broker. It would never happened because the regulators would have shut them down. Mm-hmm. It would never get to the point where, what do you mean you don't have the $3 billion to post? Or what do you mean you have to go out and raise $3.5 billion in, in new capital? They said, no, 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 we're shutting you down now. That's what happened to Bear Stearns,
0: right? Exactly right. Right? Exactly right. That's exactly
1: what happened. There there was a run on the bank, meaning clients took their capital out and they didn't have enough capital. They couldn't do business. And so, boom, you're done. You are done. But no, somehow someone suggested, well, uh, you don't have $3 billion, huh? Hmm. Well, maybe you could go out and raise it. And I tell you what, in the meantime, uh, let's do a little, I don't know, I don't know 900 million? Does 900 yeah, million work for you? Let's call
0: it seven, let's call it seven, eight hundred million. Seven, yeah, eight hundred
1: million. That. Yeah, you can do that, right? And by the way, how about stopping all your clients from buying GameStop? Could you do that? Could you do that for us? I would really like to know who was the first one to put that idea on the table. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Who, was, who was the first one to say in those communications between Vlad and the, the NSCC or the DTCC or the whatever Clearinghouse was involved here, who was the first one to say, here's an idea for how we could get out of this little sticky situation. Mm-hmm. Did we say $3 billion? Nah, yeah, let's call it a couple hundred million between friends. But hey, um, why should you stop trading at GameStop? Just for a day. Just for a day. You no, know, just a level set. And here's the thing. It wasn't just GameStop. It was every online broker. It, it was,
0: was every one of those. It stuff, was yeah.
1: TD Ameritrade, for God's sake. You think, you think TD Ameritrade was undercapitalized? I mean, maybe they were right? This is all very interesting to me. And this is what I mean about what I would be focused on in the local sense. In the local sense, and what happened during those days and hours and a couple of weeks, those are the players, Mr. or Ms. Retail Investor, you are just being played again, again. Same as it ever was when somebody says, oh, we're going to democratize Wall Street. I don't want to democratize Wall Street. I want to get Wall Street away from controlling our democracy. Right? Right. That, right. That's what I want to do. And that's why I get kind of the bigger picture where I do think that the sheer audacity of all this, right, to just stop the rules, to just reveal, eh, it's not what a company does. It never has been. It's, what, it's the bets that people make. That's, that's what makes stocks go up or down. I think, I hope, I don't know, right, but I hope that this will actually change our relationship
0: with Wall Street going forward. Well, it, it's interesting. Let, let, let's talk about Robinhood a little bit. Because sure. I think I think Robinhood itself and, and the broader idea of fintech and financialization and all these gamification, all these great buzzwords that we've got flying around. You know, Robinhood, uh, it seemed to me, is rather than something that is setting out on this mission – what it's turned into is what every Silicon Valley tech company has turned into, which is, um, you know, a spiral higher in private valuations um, as a means to IPO to the public and sell them the company via either an IPO or or more likely now a SPAC, who knows, at the highest valuation they possibly can in the shortest amount of time. And to do that, we need growth, right? We need growth. We've got to show growth in our customer base and growth in our trading volume and all these things you know, I, I look at it and it seems to me that, that the Robin Hoods of the world have no idea what they're doing. They don't really understand the game they're playing. And that suits the other players at the table, obviously, right? Um, but this whole idea of, of, of being undercapitalized, anybody at that table with a Wall Street background could have told them looking at what was going on, hey, you're going to run into this problem and it's going to come at you like a truck and it's going to happen real fast. And the very fact that Robin Hood did nothing to try and head that off tells you that Clueless. even with them, this this story about the democratization of Wall Street is just another way. It's of just another story. Robin Hood, cool right. and trendy and hip, but let's get. But what I was interested about was uh, the way that we saw the 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 Silicon Valley alpha bros, yep. uh, Elon and Chamath, get into this thing. Really fast. Now, first of all, Elon tweets game stonk mm-hmm. uh, on the 26th, which is what ultimately drives the frenzy, which causes uh, Robinhood to do what it has to do. Um, there's no two ways about that. He then, once he's caused that, he then grills Vlad on Clubhouse and says, "Did you throw your customers under the bus?" The right answer is no. You did. And then Chamath piles on, talking about. Uh, I'm not even sure if he used the word scumbags, but if he didn't use the word scumbags, he was pretty close to it in a few of his tweets. Oh, and Chamath just happens to be bringing uh, SoFi public virus back, which is the next iteration of Robin Hood, which is a much cooler, much trendier, better version of Robin Hood. This seems to me to be a massive power game where Silicon Valley is eating its own because... They can, and that's what they do, but also they're trying to get their foot in the door to to maybe you know it's time that Wall Street didn't quite have the power that Wall Street has. Maybe all the power should reside here in Silicon Valley. H- how does that, as a narrative, <laughs> sit with you?
1: So there's this um, uh, the scene in uh, the original Alien movie where <laughs> Going back now right right uh, and um, the Doctor, he's been revealed as being a robot, and uh, Sigourney Weaver and the crew have, have have defeated him. But now the alien is 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 running loose. You know, it's burst out from whoever's chest, and you know, going all through the spaceship. And um, Sigourney Weaver, you know, turns to the robot doctor and you know, says, "Yeah, you like it, don't you? You like that?" And, and he says, "No, I don't like it, but I admire it." i admire it for its perfection and i bring this up because i kind of admire robin hood for their perfection in finding a way to we'll use this word gamify investing to to scrap with a whole pretense of oh we're here for the long haul and oh we're worried about company fundamentals Screw that, man. Do you want to, you think it's going to be red or black this week, right? (laughs) And put put your money down on that. I admire the purity (laughs) of of, 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 of Robinhood, right? So I, I, I have that as a background. The other background is every aspect of Wall Street is gamed, right? Payment for order flow. It's a game, high frequency trading it's gamed right it, it's all gamed it, it, that's what Wall Street is right and increasingly, everybody is starting to understand that, and they're also trying also understanding how the Silicon Valley model works of aggregating people and identities you know it's it's your it's your honey trap right for 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 however you're right, getting people right. to come in. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's whatever your, your dopamine delivery device is, that's what you're building. And, and, and I find that Robin Hood built one almost to perfection. The problem, the reason it's, it wasn't the perfect machine, right, is that there are other big game players out there, the Citadels, who have more money than you could ever have, right, and more power over the machinery of markets than you could ever have, and you've got to play ball with them. And Silicon Valley always hates to play ball with anyone. They always think that, and mm-hmm. this this was kind of a comeuppance, right, for Robinhood. So I don't know who the new investors were who recapitalized Robinhood at a 30% discount to whatever the IPO price is going to be, right? So the day that, that, that Robinhood goes public, at whatever that price is, forget about whether it goes up during the day, but... These investors who just put a couple billion dollars into Robinhood because they needed it, they'll immediately get that thirty percent bump.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, my God, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. I, I actually tell you, their money actually is going to make fifty percent because it's a thirty percent discount on whatever the, the the IPO price is, right? But that's what happens, right? And and you know, Shamath and Elon, they're also playing the narrative game. Shamath with, with his bevy of SPACs, including one, as you say, that's going to be a direct competitor to Robin Hood. Of course, he's going to encourage the democratizing Wall Street narrative while trying to slam Robin Hood at the same time. He's trying mm-hmm. to build an right. even more perfect right. alien. And my God, if there's a better metaphor for Elon Musk than the alien, I don't know what is. <laughs> he's, he's kind of a one man predator. <laughs> anyway. I digress. But, but yeah, so, so, so everyone's in on the act. The Silicon Valley is all based on the dopamine economy. You run into the, I'll call it the old money, the entrenched money of Wall Street. It's a, it's a battle between Sauron and the White Witch. There's no one you want to root for here. And, and, right. and, and all we know is
0: that, you know, we're, we're the ones who get squished as the, you know, the evil Titans fight. Let's talk about what it takes for this, because I, I I thought what you wrote in the Hunt Games is so true. This this is the moment where anybody that's paying attention can see exactly what's going on. Yep you, you you were so you were so right. It was very clear. The game was laid bare for everybody to see. Now I I wonder who's really watching and who really wants to do the thinking involved to be able to truly change the way this is done, but. Let's assume that people are watching. Mm-hmm. Let's assume that that the anger gets channeled in the direction it ought to be channeled, and not uh, you know Andrew left of the world, right? Who yep. had yep. barely yep. any th- any stake in this game whatsoever, and yet he's the guy who's out of business. And is you know, um What does it take for real change to happen? And in an age of narrative that is controlled by Silicon Valley mm-hmm. and their dopamine. Machine. Is it possible that any of this changes? Because the story is going to be told in a way that keeps the game going, surely, and people just want to listen to the story. They don't really want to do the thinking.
1: My best guess, right, is that no, nothing really changes, right? Some boogeyman is found to blame, and there's quote unquote reform. You know whether it's of high frequency trading, oh my God, or payment for order flow, I've got issues and problems with all with with both of those. I've got issues and problems with short selling too, right? But that's not the problem. But more than likely, right, that'll be the the episode. They'll, they'll identify the boogeyman. They'll do some sort of reform, quote unquote. I'm making air quotes here on your podcast. Uh, do some sort of you know reform, quote unquote, on that boogeyman, and you know nothing to pay attention to here. People will go about your business, and let's go democratize Wall Street. Yeah, that's possible. That's that's probably the the most likely case. I do think, though. I really do think, and maybe it's a misplaced faith in humans and their ability to see through you know the the kind of surface political and the narratives of the Elons and the shamas of the world and again, the casinofication of our world. Right? And what are some things that you could really do to to reduce that? I got some ideas, right? I don't like that there's infinite borrowed money available, you know, to the Melvin Capitals of the world, right? I, I knew Gabe when he was at SAC, and, and, and I knew all those SAC guys, and, and that's how they've always made money, right? They've always made money on trying to get some little bitty inside edge and then just... Bully the table by borrowing a shitload of money and pushing them in, right? So using leverage—that's been the secret forever of 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 these guys, and it is stoppable. It is regulatable. It is. I'd love to see you know, kind of a, imagine this getting off of zero interest rates, actually changing the price of money. Yeah. Right. right. But hey, I'm not a dreamer. Okay, I'm 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 not a complete you know you know dreamer to think that we actually might move to a meaningful risk-free rate of money. Barring raising interest rates, I think there are a lot of things you can do around leverage and the gaming of markets. I really do, right? Simple things like, oh, here's an idea. No margin accounts on Robinhood. No margin accounts. Sorry, because when you get that instant money, when you get that instant Mm -hmm. account, guess what? That's borrowed money, right? And you are now enrolled in a Margin account, and maybe you don't even know what a margin account is, and what does it matter to me? Blah blah blah. Well, if you're in a margin account, the rules for what they can do to you and your money are very different. Even if you don't borrow any money, you're in a margin account. Yep. So there are very basic things like this, right? Where no, you know what? We we do have rules on casinos. We actually have rules of you've got to be of a certain age, right? Borrowing money at a casino that it's it's a little difficult, right? There are reasonable restrictions, I think, that one can and should place on gambling. I think we should have at least those kind of restrictions in place on the gambling aspects of Wall Street. The burden doesn't have to be on the individual. The burden has to be on the company who's allowing you to make the bet, right? Why in the world should weekly call options exist on GameStop? There is yeah. zero public interest. There's zero market hedge. There's zero investment reason to have weekly options on GameStop or any of these stocks. Zero. They're only there as a gambling instrument. I don't think that should be allowed. We, we have restrictions today on what options can be approved. You know, you have to actually get approval to put a new option series out there. And there is a public interest not disclaimer, but justification that has to be made for a new option series to be proposed. This shouldn't be allowed, and, yeah. the, and this is very easy stuff to do. You don't you don't have to have a massive, you know, vote. You know you don't you don't have to have two thirds of the Senate to do this. You just have to have somebody who looks through these issues and says, you know what, the casinofication of America is not a good thing. I don't want to put more burdens on the individual gambler. I want to put some restrictions on these companies that are intentionally injecting these gains and this dopamine into our blood to suck money out of us. That's what I want to do, and I think you build with that, and I think some real change is possible.
0: You know, it, but is that is that possible on the basis that if if Congress uh, and the and the and the regulators, particularly the financial market regulators, are are so in the pocket of Wall Street as to be laughable, and you know the the revolving door between um, you know the, the the regulatory bodies and and highly paid uh, you know directorships and, and such. It, yep. it, it's so obvious that the two of them are linked, and and one is not really going to bite the hand that feeds it. Um, is it possible to get that change? Because it seems to me that if if they're not in the pocket of Wall Street then the only other place that has the kind of money that the politicians need to fund their campaigns and fund the things they want to do is Silicon Valley. Yeah. So if they don't get the money from Wall Street, they're going to turn to Silicon Valley for it. You know, it. You I, know I just... it's
1: interesting, Grant. I, I, would have, I would have thought that was absolutely the case, I was going to say 10 years ago, but probably even like six years ago. Mm-hmm. But here's where I think things have changed. I, I think there is such an unsettled political environment now and that these disparities, whether it's of income or wealth or power, have become so stark. We've got a number of examples now, just not just around GameStop, of where the game has been laid bare. Right. You know, my example is, all right. I don't know if I want to get into this, but OK, it was meaningful to me when Epstein died in jail. <laughs> right, right? Yep. That was yep. one of those moments for me. For me personally, it was one of those moments like, huh. OK. All right. We all saw it with our own two eyes. Mm -hmm. And I think there are enough political entrepreneurs out there who recognize that as an opportunity for them to break through whatever kind of political hierarchy has existed before and break through not just from, you know, donations from or speaking fees, quote unquote, from, you know, the usual suspects like Citadel, but from actually small donations, the most interesting thing to me in politics is the degree to which a candidate like Bernie Sanders, who I think would be a disaster as president, I think it'd be a disaster, right? This is not a Bernie Sanders love right? But what is amazing to me is how Bernie Sanders was able to fund his campaign enormously through small donations,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And by saying a lot of the things we're talking about here, God help us, Donald Trump, right? I, I, I mean, there are opportunities for political entrepreneurs, I think, to tap into the wellspring of discontent that exists from the the reveals, you know, to use yeah. a a TV term, the reveal, the big reveal on GameStop and Epstein and all this stuff. I think there's an opening. I think there's a chance. I'm saying there's a chance, <laughs> you yeah. know, from which, Dumb and Dumber, which
0: let's face it is really all we can we can hope for at this point because it, it does seem that everything's poor Now I'm very I'm watching the time like a hawk here because I know I know you you've you've got to run in a minute and I, and I think. I think this conversation is one that is kind of to be continued because I think there are still no doubt other aspects of this story, and I suspect it's gonna it's gonna unravel even more in the weeks and months to come because um, because I, I like you, I feel like something started. Here. I don't think mm-hmm. it's what I don't think it's what the people who think they've started it is, unfortunately, and I don't think that they are going to be the guys storming the battlements, but it feels as though there's there's a shift in power here and and maybe that power doesn't move from wall street straight to silicon valley maybe it does get diffused a little bit in 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 the kind of middle ground between which would be a great thing so so hopefully you and i can come back and talk some more about this again because as i say i, th- I think it's something that um that is important and, and even though it's not what i suspect people think it is I, I think I like you. I think this could be a moment in time where we might actually see something change meaningfully for the better. Hope springs eternal, Grant. I'm with you on that. <laughs> it does well. Look, mate. Listen, I, I appreciate you squeezing this in today. I know you're busy. Um, I will. I will do all the rest of the stuff for you and let people know how they can follow you and all that kind of good stuff, so you can run away and and put a rubber glove on and put it in whatever four legged friend of yours that needs help. At the moment, off on the farm, but um, but look, thanks for doing this again, and uh, I I love having these chats with you, and, and hopefully we can do the next one again soon. Thank you, Grant. Bye bye. So unfortunately, we ran out of time today, um, which is which is a shame, but I'm glad that that I managed to to steal that hour from Ben. Uh, what is a very busy time for him, and and as I said, this story, I think is is not over. Um, it's it's not exactly what it's been painted at, but it has the potential. To be a meaningful story, I think the the power struggle that's going on, whilst it's being represented as as Main Street versus Wall Street, I feel like there's a there's a more meaningful, perhaps, uh, and 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 potentially more dangerous power struggle going on between Wall Street and Silicon Valley. I think the the level of interest and the level of capital being poured into fintech to try and disrupt the banking industry and the finance industry is something to be watched very, very carefully because the banks are ripe for disruption. The question is whether uh, Wall Street finally having the reins of power stripped from their hands is a good thing if those reins then get handed over to um, the residents of Silicon Valley. I don't know. I mean, given what's happened with social media, given the way that particular aspect of our lives has has changed our lives in many many ways for the negative i worry that perhaps um uh if silicon valley has the power instead of wall street it it will not necessarily be a good thing i'm not i'm not defending wall street by any means here i'm certainly not saying keep the power with wall street i'm saying the power needs to be reduced uh completely it needs to be reduced from wall street and it shouldn't be allowed to to sit with Silicon Valley. So we'll see. As I say, this story is going to continue and um, I hopefully we'll have plenty more conversations about this in, in coming weeks and months. That's it for me. Uh, my, all that remains is to thank Ben Hunt for, for squeezing that hour in with me today. I'm always appreciative of his time. You can follow him. Uh, on Twitter if you don't already at Epsilon Theory and you can follow the work that he and Rusty Ginn do at EpsilonTheory.com it really is uh, extraordinary work very important work um, and the way that those guys pick the world apart I think uh, is a perspective that everybody needs right now because it's it's not simple Um, It's not what you're being told. And and Ben and Rusty do as good, if not a better job than anyone else in in trying to get behind those stories and and give you fresh perspectives. If you want to find out more about me, you can do that at ttmygh on Twitter and my new website, which is www.grant-williams.com. I'll be back with another podcast shortly. Until then, thanks for listening.